0: You're listening to Music Tectonics.
1: Welcome back to Music Tectonics where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm Tristan Jaeger, Director of Strategy at Rock Paper Scissors, the music tech PR firm. This is the first of two special episodes featuring the latest winners of Medium Lab, an international music tech startup competition that showcases innovative solutions to help the music industry build new consumer experiences. You can get to know the fresh startups from 2021's Medium Lab competition and dig into the impact of the recent news that Medium, a Europe's international, very storied, much loved music industry trade show, is coming to an end or possibly changing hands. In today's episode, Dimitri Vitsa chats with Karen Allen of Infinite Album, the winner of the music creation and education category at Medium Lab. Then, Dimitri interviews Jared Hines and Bryson Nobles, co-founders of Music Tech Works, whose product rights holder won the music marketing and data slash analytics category. Take it away, Dimitri.
2: All right, I'm excited because as part of this Meetum Lab uh, roundup of winners, I get to talk to a friend of mine, a colleague from the music tech world. I've got with me Karen Allen. She's the CEO and co-founder of Infinite Album and author of Twitch for Musicians. Karen, how are you today?
3: I'm fantastic. How are you?
2: I'm great. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. You guys, Infinite Album, won the Medium Lab Music Creation and Education category. Super cool. I know about Infinite Album. I don't know if our listeners do. So why don't you tell us about Infinite Album? What's the company offer?
3: Yeah, Infinite Album is a really exciting company. Um, I was introduced to um, the CTO and co founder, um, Ryan Groves, about a year ago. And literally wrote back to him in an email what evil genius is this so i'm super (laughs) excited to be a part of the company so we have an ai music solution primarily for live stream gamers so um gamers on twitch and youtube and and facebook and so forth but we're primarily primarily working with twitch they have a real copyright problem when it comes to music and it's um it's the music they want to play in the background while they're gaming but it's also the gaming music itself because the music that was put into the games has not been cleared for broadcast on live streaming services. It's really cleared for home use. So massive problem, copyright strikes um, every, you know, six to eight months or so, there's a massive sweep and everybody gets pissed off. So what we have is an AI music solution that replaces the game soundtrack with um, music that is responsive to the action of the game. So it knows when you're fighting, it knows when you're just walking around, it knows when you respond, it knows all these things and it can adjust the music accordingly. Uh, we've got a number of genres we work with and because Twitch is Twitch, um, everything you do to create anything for Twitch is interactive with the audience. So the viewers are able to, um, to influence the genre uh, to temporarily change instrumentation to add sound effects to change the emotion basically to screw with the music (laughs) as much as they want um, which could be, you know, fun and celebratory or, you know, cracking on the streamer. And because Twitch is just Twitch and everything is monetized on Twitch in some fun, happy way, um, they can actually spend virtual currency to do so. So not only are we a music copyright solution for live stream gamers, we are actually a revenue source for live stream gamers as well.
2: And for fans and, and viewers, uh, a way to interact with their favorite streamers.
3: It's a fantastic way to build community. I have said till I am blue in the face that Twitch is um, a community platform before it is a content platform. And it is this back and forth, um, this live element and um, the back and forth uh, features that makes it a community builder. So fans are actually kind of creating the world of the content um, with the streamer in real time and being acknowledged for doing so and paying to do so in ways that are fun for them. Um, It's like live streaming in general, just like this marvel of of content creation and monetization. I literally have never seen anything like it in my entire career Um, and Twitch does it phenomenally well. Uh, so so yeah, we kind of we, we plug into into everything um, to all of those features there uh, in a really fantastic way, and like we're super excited to get this out to people.
2: Cool. So speaking of your career, what is your personal background, and, and how would you get into to this?
3: Yeah, I spent almost my entire career uh, the digital side of music. Um, one of my, one of my first jobs back in the day was working for the RAAA, right when they were suing Napster. So I was, <laughs> I was their in-house um, uh, digital strategist. They called me the internet evangelist and, um, and I helped them, helped them really figure out what, you know, what was happening, uh, sort of being sort of in-house person who um, really looked at all of the, at the time, digital music companies and helped interpret that for the RAA and then back the other way, help people, help people understand what the RAA was doing and why they were doing it. They sent me out to all the conferences to be on the panel. So I was the industry punching bag for a while, <laughs> um, which was great fun. Um, and then went on to um, run the U um, S division of the mobile entertainment forum which is a trade association that covered mobile entertainment for all entertainment industries, film, TV, games, music, sort of everything. So um, everything that a trade association would do to kind of look out for the interests um, of the ecosystem of mobile entertainment. So I was there before we had an app market. So now you want something on mobile phones, you just make an app, right? You just hire developers, throw it up on the app, get approved and off you go. Back then you had to actually piece it together with five different provisioners and do you do an, an on-carrier deal or an off-carrier deal, and it was it was really complicated. Hmm. So we looked after that whole ecosystem, um, and then I left that to work with uh, Ted Cohen at Tag Strategic. He um, he was the um, the basically the executive um, director, president, whatever you want to call it, a mobile entertainment forum for the U.S. So we, we had a good working relationship, and um, I worked with Ted and Tag uh, did live stream. Stri- I'm sorry, did um, did strategy and biz dev for digital entertainment companies. It ended up being a lot of music because of his background and my background, but we did a lot of general digital entertainment and uh, worked with probably over 80 startups and major companies during the time that I was there and then left to go on my own. And then uh, pretty quickly thereafter, fell down the rabbit hole of live streaming and um, talked about that, you know, till I was blue in the face. and nobody cared <laughs> about what I was saying at all until the pandemic hit. And then suddenly it's like, what was that? Why is she mixed up? You're talking about Karen. So. So yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of my, uh, yeah. my story why I'm here.
2: It's, it's very refreshing to see somebody with that much music industry and digital music experience yeah. in this role as co-founder and CEO of a music tech startup that's getting accolades at music tech startup competitions. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a little different than what we see a lot of the time. So um, we've both been to Meetem a ton uh, in the past. Here you were competing and won in this category. How was the Meetem Lab experience for you?
3: Meetem Lab was really interesting. Um It, I mean, I, I've been going to Meetem for years, so I'm very familiar with it. Um I love Meetem Lab, and and they has, always have always had such good companies there. And it's exciting to be in the room and watching people pitch. So it was really, I it, mean, it's like it's could of an honor to be a part of it. It's an honor to be chosen. And I kind of missed the fact that I couldn't, you know, be there in the room in with everything. So yeah, it was always like, which is just the, you know the reality of where we are right now with everything and you, you do everything from your desk basically. Um, but it was great. I got to know the other, um, the other competitors, uh, who all had such amazing, incredible companies. Um, and I mean, I thought it was a great experience. Um, they're actually very supportive too. They, um, they opened up some of their, um, their advisors to us before we pitched. So I got incredible advice from, um, Abby, Abbey oh, Road. Abbey Road. Yeah. Yeah. Abbey Road. Yeah. I got really, really good advice for them on the deck, which kind of like changed how we did our decks from then on. Oh, cool. Um, so, yeah. No, it was. It was. It was really great. It was a really good experience for us.
2: Yeah, Medium Lab has been very cool, and it has been cool to actually be physically in that room, that little theater. They always did it in, and can. Mm-hmm was packed with startup founders. And it was just oh, yeah. so cool to, to see so many people pitching in such a variety. I think they did such a great job of bringing in very diverse regionally from around the world and also um, just the the areas, the, the categories they had were, were super interesting. And actually, I think it's kind of... Um, Almost ironic that you guys are in the music creation and education category, just because I think of the the role that AI has has played in shifting the conversation around um, music creation. But as you talk about Twitch commenters and and sort of micro patrons influencing the soundtrack, it starts to sound again like they're a part of creating the music, which is kind of interesting as well. They
3: are. They are. Um, look, I mean, AI music kind of gets a bad rap, like it's all a bunch of robot music. But what we're doing is what an art, a regular artist could not do. You can't pay a regular artist enough to sit there and play music in response to the game. Yeah. It's not possible, it's not gonna happen. So, so um, we, we feel like we provide a, a type of music service that um, would be difficult to do otherwise and as actually additive to what the, um, what the creator, the live streamer, you know, is trying to create for their world, right. um, and and to give viewers a chance to to screw with them a little bit too. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, so how far along is Infinite Album as a as a company?
3: Yeah. So the base product is that the, the AI engine has been built for some time. Um, we have been spend, spending time building out the Twitch extension, which is basically the the app that we need to enable viewers to interact with the music um and also the overwolf app um that um we use to enable the music to be able to respond to the game there's Mm. actually two apps you have to use for this Mm. um you you install the extension but um, as as the creator you'll primarily interact with just the overwolf app gotcha so that's been a lot of it and then of course the interfaces and doing a couple of rounds of alphas and getting bugs out and so forth
2: that that's that's been completed or that's in the works now
3: so we, um, we did our first round of alpha, we are about to enter our second round of alpha. Uh, once our Twitch extension gets approved, mm. which any day now, hopefully, <laughs> um, will get approved, we can relaunch our alpha, and um, we'll probably do that for a, a month or two, I would think just to just to get, you know, again, get the bugs out, get the first get the first round of requests and, and updates and so forth. And then hopefully we'll launch to the public, um, I'm going to say February, maybe even March of 2022.
2: And will that look like streamers uh getting this extension and then starting to use it? Or is there there uh, more to how, how so, people will yeah, use so it? Yeah, so
3: streamers can use it in their streams during the alpha.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: We're just sort of gating how many people can actually do that. <laughs> our our theory is um fail small.
2: Yeah that's our theory. <laughs> that's good.
3: Fail small. Fail small. Um, so yeah, it will have um hopefully, you know, a hundred or, or fewer um, streamers in the alpha just kind of you know putting it through its paces, and then once we go wide, hopefully you'll see it all over Twitch.
2: Awesome, I can't wait to see that. That'll be super fun. And so what's, what's next for Infinite Album after that? What what can we expect down the road? Where do you guys see things going?
3: Yeah, so for us, um, you know, we see ourselves as an AI music company that sort of optimizes for gaming. So when you think of it that way, it's, it's you know, Twitch is a great entry into the field. It's speed to market, it's instant revenue. Um, it's, um, it's working out, you know, what the product should be and what people want it to be and sort of iterating on build. So that's great for us. But long term, we really see metaverse games. You know, we see building in for like Roblox, Fortnite, Minecraft, clearly, Um, but also just the next round of very specifically metaverse games that are being built, like Kevin Lin right now has Dustbreakers and, you know, metaverse GG is about to pop. So those kinds of of games where um where it's basically it's it's all the same it's all the same markers as you have in twitch it's just put into an actual game
2: Mm -hmm. very cool that'll be that'll be cool to see too yeah there's been some challenges already with how music works in the metaverse that's different from from other social apps and other games and so forth Mm um been been tricky so once again i think you guys could play an interesting role there because of different unrelated um or non-copyright concerns i guess you could say
3: yeah absolutely you know and we're getting we're getting asked about nfts of course because everyone's asking about Ts. and you know what's your nft strategy seems to be the big question um and and the answer is yeah absolutely we can we can nft you know anything we're trying to think about what makes sense you know, because, NFTs work when there's a community around it. NFTs work when there's demand. NFTs work when there's a story behind what's being created. So we have to really think about how do we create a story around what we create? You know, how, do, how does a story come out of the gameplay? How does a story come out around um, the streamers themselves? You know, each creator, I think, has their own lore, you know, for their channel, the things that, that they do. Um, you know, what do they they do outwardly to their audience and then what comes into them inwardly from their audience and in between that sort of creates the lore and the back and forth and the inside jokes and, you know, how do I, what do I, what emotes do I create and what do they look like and why are they there and when do we use them and how do they punctuate what's happening in the action of the, of the stream? Like that's all lore, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we amplify that? and how does an NFT feed what they're doing? That's the question. Yeah, that's the question we really have to answer. Otherwise, we're just, we're just another, you know, another one of the thousands of NFT companies kicking out NF- NFTs, everyone's questioning what's the value of this. So, well, you know, as you yeah. talk
2: about it, Karen, not not just the NFT thing, but it it starts to paint a picture of sort of like you become this soundtrack of uh, a specific moment in time. So, right. I mean, then it starts to make sense. You know, if if you're if you're watching a streamer pretty regularly, like you watch all their videos and you. Um, and you you're so, you talk about it with your friends and your peers, and you're like, oh, did you see what happened in such and such game? Da da da. da. And then like, you know, it be, it has a storyline to it, it has a narrative to it. Did you see this one moment in this battle or this experience or this adventure or whatever? And then there's infinite album that provided the perfect soundtrack at the right moment. I could see where you could grab a snippet of that and make it collectible somehow
3: yeah yeah for sure i mean uh, for sure we're going to end up being just a part of whatever other nfts people make because we just happen to be coincidentally the music behind it but we also want to think about you know what is unique about what us what is unique about right. what, what we can create you know or, or do we just hook up with an nft company that hyper focuses on gaming and help them iterate a thousand different versions you know, of of this vibe yeah. that they're trying to create, you know, for this scene, um, there's there's a lot of things to be done with it. And we're just, we wanna make the right moves with this. Cause it's, a, it's a lot of build for a small company like us. So we have to sort of, you know, we have to place our cards um, very strategically.
2: Yeah. So let's widen out a bit, Karen. Being a, an industry veteran, I'm curious to ask you, what are your industry projections for things that you're expecting in the innovation world of music in 2022?
3: That's a big question. Um, You know, I think live streaming is going to continue to thrive. Um, I think that um, the further we get in the pandemic and the less the pandemic is affecting live shows, like we're sort of out a little more, I think that the industry is getting a little smarter about where does live streaming really fit into the music industry. You know, we don't have to do everything live like we did before, Um, we can make it a part of things. So I'm seeing. I'm seeing marketing companies and labels and artists thinking about thinking of it more as um, a kickoff to uh, a tour or a capstone for a tour or you know they're launching a record um they're launching a video i'm seeing them use it more in promotional senses hmm, definitely yeah. um i find that a lot of a lot of um companies that i work with like to do things on youtube and facebook you know, versus Twitch, because that's where their audience already is. And it mm. makes sense for them to do that. but they're also looking for a level of interactivity, you know, and, um, you actually can do some of the interactivity you can do in Twitch on those platforms. You just need someone who understands how those technologies work, which is what I do. Cause it's not obvious, honestly. Um, but yeah, I'm seeing people, um, understand where live streaming fits in with the industry long-term, which is nice to see. You know, it's nice to see live streaming used um, smartly and strategically as opposed to in a knee jerk sort of way.
2: Yeah, cool. Great tip on the future there. While I've got you, what do you think about this news that emerged pretty recently about Meet'em not happening in 2022? The first I saw of it was Music Business Worldwide saying it's done forever. And then I saw follow-on articles that said, well, the city of Cannes might be taking it over. But I mean, you've been for years. I've been for years. i just get your your quick take on, uh, on the end of Meet'em, especially after you guys just won this award. <laughs>
3: I know. I actually, I literally texted my co-founder. I'm like, we might have just won the last Meetum <laughs> Lab award ever. Um, well, first of all, it's heartbreaking because um, you know Meetum is—it's so great to go out and see everybody. And, and because it's so far and kind of expensive, the American contingent that goes tends to be the people who are sort of most serious or most par- most powerful. So it ends up being a really great place to kind of. Um, to sort of weed out the week for your networking, so to speak, yeah. you know, and also to take advantage of the people who are in Europe where it's very easy for them to go. So in that sense, that's sort of like the value that Meetum always held. Um, so for my clients that I took to Meetum, like we could pack in, you know, eight, 10 meetings a day, whatever it was for five days straight and, and like really get some serious business done, which was fantastic. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was it was look, it was heartbreaking this year. Um, to to win medium Lab and not be able to go to the Carlton, yeah, you know, and celebrate, <laughs> you know, which is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, but look, you know, this music conferences—that's a tough business. Conferences in general is a tough business. If you want to, you know, if you want to filter down to only digital music, like that's even that's even a smaller, you know, contingent. Um, it's a tough business. And, and, you know, they've been, they've been kind of struggling with that for a while, even before the pandemic hit. So not entirely surprising, but I kind of thought that with everybody having to do everything online, that that saves a ton of money, right? It saves a ton of money, you can get creative in ways you couldn't have gotten creative before It sort of gave everybody a moment to just save money.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Right? Um, and get more participation because I saw every single conference lower their prices, which I thought was fantastic because you, you could let so many more people in. Right. Mm-hmm. So you could really build your audience, save money. And then when you get it in person, come out really strong, you know, just like you did this year, came out really strong. Um, people turned out know like people flew to la yeah we had you know. people as
2: far as israel mexico city various places and that was just for
3: the meetup yeah. all you had in la was a meetup it yeah. wasn't even a program you yeah. know and they came out for they kind of use that as the anchor for their la meetings yeah. which is very common you use a conference as your anchor for your meetings in that city so i don't know i was kind of hoping they'd rally Yeah, me too. I really was. I mean, it's a valuable conference.
2: Yeah, I I feel I feel the same way. I mean, um, you know, uh, Xavier who ran Meetum Lab these last several years, amazing guy, great. Put together a great program, and I remember when we launched this Music Tectonics podcast. One of the first things we did was I bought a digital recorder and I set up shop in the U.S. Pavilion at Meetum. Mm-hmm. David Hazen was uh, running uh, the the mm-hmm. North American part of the show at that point, and uh, he's like, "Come and come and interview people." And I was like, "Okay." And we interviewed almost all the Meetum Lab um, uh, finalists and yeah. most of the winners, and it was it was super cool. So this is kind of like a full circle for us, and that makes it a bit bittersweet maybe maybe uh maybe someone else will pick up the Meetum, uh the Meetum uh flag uh eventually 2023 or something like that and we'll keep rocking with music tectonics regardless either way we play nicely we we, we had a great collaboration with Meetum as well it's um,
3: non-competitive you know it's different continents
2: yeah, First of all, that helps.
3: And yeah. And you're months apart. Like yeah. there's no competition.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Congratulations on your win at medium lab. You also were a finalist at the music tectonics, uh, startup com- competition, swimming with narwhals, very, very close t- to the top on that as well. So you're having, yeah. you, you've had, you had a great 2021 and I'm sure 2022 is going to be awesome for you, Ryan and infinite album. Thanks so much for being on the show.
3: Thank you. It's been a lot of fun.
1: So cool. Stick around after the break for another Medium Lab winning project, Music TechWorks new platform, Rights Holder. Join the team behind Music Tectonics for a new series of online events, Seismic Activity. We're kicking off with a Music Tech startup open mic on January 26th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. This event is an informal interactive Zoom. So be prepared to get on camera, drop your links in the chat, and to bring your goals and ideas and build your network. You'll get a chance to go on mic and tell people what you've been up to and what your plans and hopes are for 2022. Find out how to register at musictectonics.com. Seismic activity runs on a monthly cycle. So each Wednesday, we'll see either labels and managers, artists and producers, startup founders, all sorts of folks from the music tech world for demos, networking, and other good times. See the upcoming schedule at musictectonics.com. Sign up for the Music Tectonics newsletter while you're at it and stay up to date on everything we're up to. Music Tectonics seismic activity is where the music tech community connects online. Everyone who works where music and tech meet is very welcome. And now, back to Dimitri.
2: So now I've got with me uh, the co-founders of Music Tech Works. uh, Jarrett Hines is the CEO, also co-founder Bryson Nobles are both with me today on the podcast. They're winners of the Medium Lab 2021 competition in the music, marketing, and data analytics category. Jarrett, how are you doing today?
4: Doing good. And yourself?
2: I'm doing great. I know you've got some construction in the background, so we'll just roll with that. But uh, super excited to hear about what happened at Medium Lab. Bryson, how are you?
0: Doing fantastic. Appreciate you asking and having us
2: on. Yeah, great to have you on. Um, so you guys, the company's Music Tech Works, but the, the platform that you applied for with Medium Lab is, is something you guys created called Rights IO. Do I have that right, Jarrett?
4: Yes, that's correct.
2: So why don't you tell us about it? What, what does it have to offer?
4: Okay. So Music Tech Works, as a company, we, we organize music ownership data. Um, and really the, the purpose or our plan was to help Streamline music licensing and the process around that. Um, Rights Holder is our first product. It's a music ownership search engine. We can go there, search for songs, ownership, um, and find that information in seconds. So instead of having 10 or 11 different tabs open on your browser and you're copying and pasting ownership information into uh, a spreadsheet, basically you have one place to go to view both the master and the publishing ownership information.
2: So who who's the end user of Rights Holder?
4: So it was primarily designed, uh, specifically for production companies. So music supervisors, clearance professionals, and others that want to quickly find uh, ownership information for the music that they need.
2: And how does it differ from other things that are out there in in the market?
4: Well, it provides a a basically a comprehensive view of the ownership information, right? So, um, right now you can go to PROs and you can search them and find who they represent and sometimes the other PROs, uh, are publishing information. Uh, but m- most times you have to go to more than one site to find that. Uh, none of them also give you the master recording ownership information. So we pull all that together, as well as some other things to enhance it, how songs have been used before, um, other things of that nature. So how they've been used for, if they have samples, uh, covers of them to make it really easy to uh, figure out what you want to do from a licensing standpoint.
2: So you already have the data in this database. It's not just the structure, but, but the, all the data, like for a certain number of songs, certain catalogs?
4: Yes, we do have, um, I believe, over 165 million songs in our database. Wow. Uh, we don't push all that to the production ones, so it's not all public, but uh, we spend a lot of time behind the scenes uh, clearing, cleaning, reconciling it, uh, deduplicating it, uh, all the, the data matching that Bryson does um, to make sure that it's ready to go and we have a high confidence level in what we're putting out there.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Now it's making sense to me. You, you want to license a song, you have to go find out who owns which parts of the rights and uh, find out how it's been used in the past, all that kind of stuff. They can go to rightsholder.io and find that information.
4: Yes, that's correct.
2: Awesome. Cool. So Jared, how'd you get into this? What's your personal background?
4: So I have a uh, background as a consultant, right? I started out, um, it was really in product my whole, my whole career, but started out as a consultant in dc ended up moving up to new york after undergrad grad school and then managing a couple artists and songwriters that i knew Um, and that was kind of my introduction into the music industry and then from there uh it's just been like a passion of mine to work with music technology and business on
2: got it cool so bryson what about you what's your background how'd you get into this
0: sure so i am a i am not a native music industry person. I kind of stumbled into it, but been a big music fan all my life. It's always been a big part of my life. Uh, I got into this business specifically around music data. It, I developed this weird fascination, I want to say about 15 years ago, and this was sometime around when Justin Timberlake put out his first album. I know this sounds completely crazy, but there was something about Justin Timberlake and Timberland working together that I found super fascinating. I was trying to figure out where was the link there. Mm -hmm. And as I started digging around and kind of looking at metadata and looking on Wikipedia and all of these places, just trying to find where that linkage came over, I got, I went down this rabbit hole of understanding that Timberland happened to be one of the producers on NSYNC's No Strings Attached, and then they developed this relationship and it turned into this this relationship that they had and he became a staple and you know they've worked together since. And so it was like finding those really super odd connections that the data kind of uncovered, led me on this path of discovering all of this really great music that I probably would have never otherwise listened to. And as a result, I followed that passion to spend more time with the data as I continue to listen and discover great artists. And it's worked out really well that now we have a company where I get to listen to music all day and get to work with music, uh, music metadata, which helps me discover more stuff. So it's a little unfair, I will say that I get to do something that I absolutely love every single day and uh, be able to earn a living from it. And so I certainly consider myself blessed as a result.
2: Awesome. I love that. You know, it, it, the way you described it, Bryson, almost sounds like digital crate digging, you know, like looking for that, looking for that next, that next, uh, act that you found from another act, um, and what the connections are, the linkages. And it's cool to hear that the guy that's doing this data matching also, you know, was accustomed to doing that in his own listening experience too. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So, um, how was the Meetum Lab experience for you guys? I mean, this this show is kind of like bringing together the four the four winners from the different categories. You know, I, I mentioned you guys won the music marketing and data analytics category. Winning is only one piece of it. Obviously, I'd love to hear what's what's uh, resulted from having that win and and kind of getting some attention from the the music industry, um, but also the, the overall experience. I know they have a lot of other pieces, meetings and and um, connections and networking and so forth. How how how's that been going, Jarrett?
4: Well, it's been a great experience overall. Um, like you said, there was some, some mentoring and some, some initial networking that happened before the competition, uh, talking about our business, getting some feedback from the different mentors and, and people that we were in contact with about it. And then uh, kind of post-competition, some of the best learning and best conversations I've had were with the other startups and other winners. Oh, cool. Um, learning about all the cool things that they're doing, uh, connecting with them, seeing what's coming along in the industry. And then also being able to you know start to have more conversations with other industry experts, uh, talking about what it is we're doing. Um, we have some some new pipeline that's come from it, so it's been great in that that uh, experience also. And it's really just uh, humbling to be validated kind of on an international scale to say, hey, we had this idea, we saw a problem, um, we knew locally that it's a problem, and intuitively really that a solution, we could create one for it. But to see then. You know, other people recognize that and say, "Yes, we agree that that is a problem. and This is something that um, we want to see solved." You know, again, is a is a big validator for us and helps you know push the momentum and us keep going forward.
2: Super cool. What what were some of the other companies or or one of the companies that you got to meet through that, that you got excited about?
4: Well, I will I will say I knew um, about Westcott Media more uh, through TechStars, but I, I mentioned Kristen and her company because we actually. Through the competition i learned a lot more about the new stuff that she's working on um and it really seems exciting about the using ai for marketing um and understanding data and then just looking at things through a data lens talking about all things nft which is you know in all areas of the music industry kind of saturating and where's it going and what's doing so uh being educated in that space was was a big uh thing that i enjoyed
2: yeah cool that yeah i agree on the on the marketing side there's been um there haven't been a lot of great new ways to to kind of automate some of that. And it's really tough now with how fragmented the music marketplace is. So to have Westcott coming in to try to solve those problems for artists is, is super cool. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, Bryson, how far along is your company?
0: When we, when we started this, I mean, uh, the idea for the company, it came from a, a previous experience where Jared and I, we worked together uh, in a different company that was a music data company. Through that experience, we had conversations with a lot of companies doing customer interviews, and this is where we got this acute understanding that there was a bottleneck in terms of opportunities that were available for sync licensing just because data was, was poor or it was hard to find or it just took a lot of time to track down. And so the hypothesis was if we can kind of pull that data together and help people not need to look a bunch of places for it, maybe we can speed up that process and we can create some value. And so we started with a relatively small data set of, you know, a couple million records. And this was records that we were gathering from public places like Wikipedia and Discogs and music brains. And these were, you know, not, you know, not the highest quality data sets because they were user generated and you had to take the data with a grain of salt. But we were able to take that. And then once we figured out that they had the issues and understood the pattern with the issues, we had to then grow our innovation stack of, okay, well, how do we solve for all of these discrepancies? But we started off with a couple million songs. As Jared mentioned earlier, today we're at about 165 million unique ISRC codes that we have in our database. That coupled with another 20 million, close to 20 million ISWC codes. And we go through this very aggressive bank level algorithm process of matching those recordings to the underlying compositions. So in terms of what that represents for the entire market, that's probably 70 to 75 percent of all of the songs that have been released on a DSP anywhere in the world today. The amazing thing is we'll never, we can never really say that we'd expect ourselves to be at 100 percent because, you know, there's 70 to 80,000 new tracks that are released on Spotify just today. Right. And so the goal is always being moved. But we are doing the best that we can to develop our ability to close as much of that gap as possible to make sure that our users have access to the information. In
2: Makes tons of sense. Um, what In terms of users, are you guys open? Are you in beta? How far along are you on that side of things?
0: So currently, uh, we are operating in beta. We have had several enterprise customers that we've worked with. we worked with independent music supervisors, production companies. And so our, our customer segments have been a bit fragmented, but they all come with the same problem set, which is, I need this information so it can unlock my ability to do X. And so sometimes it's on a smaller scale, I need a couple dozen songs, sometimes it's I need millions of songs validated in order to be able to meet this objective. But to answer the question specifically, we are currently in beta right now, we're looking to come out of beta uh, early part of Q1 of next year to make this more broadly available to customers that we have that are kind of on a waitlist and have been nudging us because they've been on a waitlist for a bit now.
2: And are they primarily looking to license songs and just, they just want to find out ownership information or is there more to it than that?
0: Today, that is the primary uh, goal. You know, there is a future in which we'd like to be more helpful in terms of the entire licensing process. But let's be clear, just finding and reconciling the data is a large enough task on its own that we're gonna, you know, try to eat this elephant one bite at a time.
2: Yeah, it is huge. I know there's been lots of attempts to try to create some sort of global database of of songwrites, and you guys are tackling both sides of the uh the, the equation, um, for, for sync, which is super cool. So, uh, I again, I, I mentioned that the company that you guys run is music tech works rights is the project we've been talking about. What can we expect from music tech works next? Jarrett, you want to take that?
4: Sure. So, you know, as Bryson mentioned, uh, we are looking to have RightsHolder uh, exit beta early next year and excited about that and what that means for our customers. We have some new, uh, functionality we've been testing out, um, around playlists and other things to make it even easier to find music at speed or music ownership information uh, quickly. But on top of that, we have kind of two other areas that we've been working on uh, late this year. Uh, the first is with music publishers, right? So we've been helping them in kind of three three areas, right? One, to proactively monitor their catalogs and the registration that they have around the world. So if issues do pop up, they can address those issues Before their royalties are delayed or diverted, right? So preventing it from going in the black box, or you know, it being one two quarters afterwards when they do an audit and find out, oh, this song that was returning me, you know, twenty thousand dollars per se every quarter, I only got ten thousand dollars from it from this last quarter. Why is that registration or why is why are those royalties down, right? If there's an issue with the registration or something changes, we can let them know ahead of time and they can then proactively address that issue the second part is identifying kind of in that same vein identifying where there are broken royalty streams because either songs haven't been registered the registrations haven't been updated as ownership changes have happened um there are duplicate registrations on any number of issues that are preventing them from collecting the royalties that they're owed Uh, we can help them identify that at scale so if you say you know you have ten thousand songs in your catalog and they're registered in a hundred different places around the world then you're looking at 10 million registrations that you have to then go right now manually, have somebody go through and prioritize and check, right? We can use our systems and our data to flag those issues for you um, and say, hey, here are the 450 songs that you need to prioritize fixing to unlock more royalties. So those are two things that we're working on with and are super excited to bring that to a a bigger group. Um, But the final thing that we've been helping them with is rights acquisition. So taking that same data and prioritizing, allowing them to basically make strategic decisions about which catalogs they buy and how do they get a quick return on investment um, based on where things are registered and how to clean up that, that catalog and so on and so forth. So we're, we're really excited about those things that are coming down the pipeline, as well as like Bryson said, we have some new um, some features and some things that are coming out for rights holder as well.
2: Wow. You guys are tackling a lot. makes me want to know how big is your team?
4: Uh, we have a very small but efficient team It's about five of us that are working on it uh as of' now and looking to expand um pretty soon in the new in a new year uh but we do have a lot of algorithms written by Bryson that has pushed us to a another level from a um, but basically being efficient in our in the way we operate
2: yeah cool, amazing. All right. Cool. Um, Great to get to know you and hear about your Medium Lab experience. As we wrap up this segment, I'm curious if you guys want to share any industry projections that you're expecting in music innovation in 2022. This will air in January, early January. I know that's a big question and, and I'm not going to hold you on the hook and ask you a year from now, were well, your projection's correct. No, uh, just, it's just a fun way to kind of explore, like w- from your seat in the industry, um, what is kind of, where do you see things going? Bryson, do you have anything you want to shout out as something you see emerging in music innovation this year?
0: Uh, I am hopeful and it certainly seems like the, the stars are aligning for more, sync licensing to happen on a a smaller scale or or more in the long tail. And so that's, in some ways, the business that we're building, right? I think if you look historically, sync licensing, this was reserved for the Procter and Gambles and the Pepsis. These are the, the companies that you associated with going out and getting licenses. And so the number of organizations you were dealing with were smaller, the budgets were larger, the timelines were probably bigger because they were prepping for Super Bowl or some big scenario. So the, the, the factors that went into what it takes to license something now they, they or then it was different. If you think about to now, now and look, I have young kids and I remember when the, the baby shark craze came online, right? And it was all of a sudden it's, it there's a moment in time when all of a sudden this is the most popular thing, the most explosive thing that you can be a part of to be able to quickly find moments like that and be able to leverage those moments like that, those turnarounds are gonna happen faster. And so I fully expect that we're gonna see a lot more of that where songs will become popular faster, where companies are gonna wanna leverage that moment in time faster. And so the question is, what are the companies that are gonna step up and be able to help serve um, those opportunities to be able to have that thunderclap moment, that strike, and really, really support some of those things? I know that there's a lot of innovation that's happening around, you know, distribution and NFTs, et cetera, et cetera. I still don't know what that's going to look like, but I am very specifically and acutely focused on the fact that we are making more and more tools available for the long tail of creatives. And I think that that's really exciting.
2: That is super cool. I haven't thought about that. I like the way you put that in terms of that thunderclap moment as people need to jump on these things as they're happening, because that's what people expect now with social media. So if you're licensing um, sync opportunities, you got to do the same. Um, It reminds me of a, a thought leadership piece I just saw come out. A few weeks back in in December, um, by the founder of Revelator, that talked about the velocity of payment and how the velocity of payment actually opens up creativity for all sorts of artists, but certainly independent artists too, who, who maybe, you know, it's taking a while to get their royalties paid out, like Jarrett was talking about a minute ago. Um, so it's interesting to also think about that from a sync perspective, how you have to jump on that, that speed of, of, of jumping on that thing. Um, it's, you, you have the moment, so you got to do it, but you got to be able to license it, which takes the information that you guys are working on. So super, super cool projection. Jarrett, what about you? Are, Are, do you have any industry projections that you're expecting in music innovation this year?
4: I, I do. They're very similar to Bryson. I think that um, automation will be a big part of the innovation that takes place on the business side of, of doing music. There'll be more tools that allow, um, whether it's rights holders or creators, to conduct business at scale faster uh, without having to analyze every single piece of a deal or you know, for just bring more information available for them to make decisions quickly. So I think that There are going to be more companies that we see um, that are automating some of the manual tasks that are repeatable, um, that are done offline and taking that and bringing that pipeline and those uh, business processes, you know, kind of speeding that up uh, across the board um, and all types of decisions and deals, um, not just sync for music.
2: Awesome. Well, Jarrett Bryson, it's been great having you on Music Tectonics. Congrats on your win at Meetem Lab. Um, If our listeners are looking to find you, I know you guys are both on LinkedIn, Jarrett Hines with Music Tech Works and Bryson Nobles at Music Tech Works. Is that a great place to connect with you guys?
0: Absolutely. Yes.
2: And it's rightsholder.io. There's a request access button right on the front of the page. So if people want to try to get involved with the beta or once you guys roll out, that's the spot to be. Looking forward to seeing you guys at some upcoming music industry conferences and uh, talking to you again soon. Thanks for joining me.
4: Thanks for having us.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know you can dig deeper into all our episodes with the show notes at musictectonics.com. While you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference, sign up for our newsletter to get updates, or get the Music Tectonics app for music tech news. Everything we do explores seismic shifts that shake up music and technology the way the earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and find me, Dmitri Vitsa, if you can spell it, on LinkedIn. Bye-bye.